Pastor Stan. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Stevie. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You're doing good. You ever notice that the pulpit is always set up to aim that direction? Just so you all know. Does that make you feel good that you're more spiritual than those that need to hear what I'm saying? I'm going to put a sight on here one of these days, but uh, glad you were here. If you're here for the first time or you're fairly new, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Scott did a great job last week uh, talking about staying Christian, not, not like you go in and out of it, but uh, because with our, 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 title, our, our uh, sermon series called uh, Changed by the Challenges. Changed by the challenge, we get challenged, and um, he doesn't mean, you know, staying Christian, like, are you in one day, out the next? Though some of you live that way. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's staying the course. When the, when the seas get rough, it's, it's, are you going to continue to serve God? Um, so, so thank you so much, Scott, for preaching that last week. Well, let's get into this. We're going to the book of Kings. Uh, before I, I share the message, I want to tell you a, a story that I read this week that I thought was pretty funny. It's called The Slippery Son-in-Law. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, I got one of those. Uh, all right. It says, a very successful businessman had a meeting with his new son-in-law. To welcome you to the family, the father-in-law said, I have made you a 50-50 partner in my business. All you have to do is come to the factory every day and learn the operation. The son-in-law said, well, actually, I hate factories. They're really, really too loud for me, and I have sensitive hearing. Well, I see the father-in-law said, I didn't know that about you. Well, then I'll, I'll put you in the office and you'll be over um, operations of the, of the whole facility. The son-in-law said, well, thanks, but I wouldn't enjoy being in an office all day long. Exasperated, he says, wait a darn minute. I just made you half owner of my company and you don't like office work and you don't like factories. What do you think I should do? And he goes, well, if I were you, I'd buy me out. <laughs> Some of you get that on the way home. You're like, oh, that's a pretty smart son-in-law, right? I don't want to work, so you should just buy half the company you just gave me. It has nothing to do with my message. I just thought it was funny, so I thought I'd share it with you. Because I believe that church is a place that you should laugh. Okay, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, then joy, right? Joy should be a part of our life, even amidst hard times. Uh, we have to know that heaven is our home, that it only gets better for the Christian. It might get worse first. Okay, but if you're saved today and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have to know that heaven awaits you. It only gets better. And that's our hope. Or it's our living hope. So change by the challenges, number four. All right, again, we, we dedicated this whole series to deal with major challenges of things that we all face in life. Uh, my first one a couple weeks back was unmet expectations. Um, you know, and, and today uh, we're going to deal with something that we all deal with. You see, I want us as a church to deal with what's real. You know, there's, there's reality, and we have to deal with reality. I want to deal with what's real. We all face it on one level or another. Uh, with my topic today, some people choose to live there. Other people just visit there. And that is feeling sorry for ourselves. So the title of today's message is My Sorry Self. Now, I preached a similar message four years ago with the same title, but I've changed a bunch of stuff up. Uh, and, and I thought, man, that is one thing that we deal with on a regular basis, is we feel sorry for ourselves, don't we? I mean, we have this emotion. We're going to look at a guy named Elijah who had this emotional moment and this angel talks to him, God talks to him, and we'll see how that works out. But one of the main things in my line of work as a pastor is seeing people go through tragedies and go through hardships and watching them navigate those trials in life, watching them go through the things that they're going through and, and how they handle it. And how they handle it depends on whether they'll succeed or whether they fail is how they deal with tragedy. See, when you spend enough time with someone, you get an idea of how they will handle success or failure. You ever have that, that notion in your mind to go, okay, I gotta deliver some news and this is how they're going to respond. And you know it's probably gonna be a volcano. There's other times that you know somebody go, you know what, this, I gotta deliver this news, but you know what, in the past they've responded pretty good, so I think they'll be all right. Well, I wanna be that type of person to not blow up like a volcano, but there'll be more like a slow flowing river to say, okay, well, this is what happened. Let's deal with it appropriately. We learn how people react to things or how they're gonna to react to things by how they've reacted in the past. And one thing I know about people is that their choices and how they've lived in their recent past is gonna give you a pretty good idea of what the near future will look like. Because what I found is people don't change overnight. Amen. We can give our hearts to Christ and get saved in an instant, but the work has to take its place. We're not changed instantly 
at least in our personalities. So part of maturing, which is our goal, should be as a Christian, is recognizing your weaknesses and dealing with them. Okay, recognize where am I weak and how do I need to deal with it? So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 8. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you the story. And it's not going to make a whole lot of sense as to why he's at where he's at. But if you ever watch those, those, uh, those I guess they call it mini-series or a series where it says previously on <laughs> Stan's preaching. Previously on Stan's preaching or presently on preaching break or whatever it is. And it gives you a little synopsis of what happened last week. Okay, we'll, we'll do that in just a moment. But they usually start out with the guy locked in the trunk, tied up with, you know, and you go, wait, this is a, the CIA dude. Why is he in the trunk with duct tape all over and stuff? How did he get there? And then it goes back. He met this beautiful woman named Delilah, and <laughs> some of you didn't grow up in Bobby, you're like, who's Delilah? It's a Bible story, Samson, right? <laughs> He's like, just, yeah, my hair gives me strength. That, we'll preach that some other time. So here's where the story starts, and then we'll go back to how he got there. It says, now Ahab, who was king of Israel, married to a woman named Jezebel, who was like the most evil woman in the entire world. Don't ever call your wife Jezebel. You can name your pet dog Jezebel, maybe, but don't ever call your wife this. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, and it was 900 of her prophets. So Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And the Stan Johnson version is, she said, I'm going to kill you. That's what she's saying. I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna, I'm, you're done. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. You ever been there? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until it reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. All right, now, to get an idea of where he's at in our story, we need to look at where he's been. And this is really important in our relationships. When we see somebody that has an emotional moment, oftentimes we point out the emotion instead of looking at what it took to get them to that point. And we judge the emotion and we judge the reaction instead of looking at the whole story saying, okay, I see you're having a crazy day. Tell me about what got you to this point. We're, we're really good at pointing out the problem, but not really understanding how they got to that point because we'd be more compassionate if we were. So here's the idea of, of where Elijah is and why he's there. Now, if we go back two chapters, chapter 17 is when Elijah is introduced into the Bible. He's a prophet. And Israel is mis misbehaving. Okay, Israel is not doing what God wants them to do. He raises up this prophet named Elijah. And the judgment is, is it's not going to rain for, for how many years ever Elijah, until Elijah says, hey, it's going to rain again. It ended up being about three years. So Elijah gets raised up. He goes to King Ahab, king over Israel, evil king, even though he's king over Israel. And he says, okay, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then God says, well, you need to go hide in this ravine called a Kiriath Ravine. He goes there. If you know the story, he gets fed by ravens and he, there's a brook that he drinks from. And he's just hanging out for like a couple years until God has the brook dry up and he moves on. And so he's there and the ravens bring him food. You know, and I don't know if it's like jerky one day or prime rib the next. We don't know what the ravens are bringing, but they're bringing him probably a variety of things. And if it's anything like me, after about three or four weeks, I'd be the raven. Hey, can you give me like beef instead of, you know, rabbit that the chariot ran over? Can you, can you bring something a little better? We don't know, but we know human nature. We know human nature. There's always something better, right? But he's, he's, he gets kind of comfortable. And then... He goes and he, he meets the needs of this widow. It's, it's, the whole story is pretty cool. And, and then he confronts Ahab and he says, okay, you are serving this God named Baal and Baal's not real. Baal can't do nothing for you. So Jezebel gets her 900 prophets and they have this huge festival. And, and Elijah says, okay, build an altar. And if you call down fire from heaven, we'll know that Baal's God. But if nothing happens, we'll know that the God I serve is God. 
So all day long, these prophets are going crazy. He says they're cutting themselves, going nuts. And Elijah's there watching them. He's taunting them. And at the end of the day, nothing happens to the altar of Baal. And so Elijah builds up his altar, the altar of God, pours water all over it, prays his prayer, fire comes down and just, whoom, just consumes it. You ever lit a barbecue that you left the gas on too long before it lit? <laughs> that's how I picture just, whoom, you know? Uh, and then that's what happens. And then he says, okay, the prophets of Baal, your false prophets, Israelites, I need you to kill them. And they round them up and they kill all 900 of Jezzy's prophets. Well, Jezebel's not happy about this. And we'll call her Jezzy. All right. She's not happy about it. And that brings us to this point that, that she finds out. And then she's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, ah, and he just takes off running. And he goes to a place, right, where he's just ready to give up. So that's what brings him to this spot. Again, he's a prophet. He brings fire down from heaven. He prophesies a drought. It happens. He's fed by ravens, has a showdown with the king. He has all these things that we would say are successes. And then all of a sudden, he is ah, running from a woman. You ever run from a woman? Anybody ever wish they'd have ran from that woman? <laughs> like, right? You ever, you ever wish you'd have ran from something that you didn't? Well, that, that's where Elijah's at. So how could a man of God, again, man of God, a man used by God, a man who knows God's voice, a man that, that has intimate relationship with God. How could this guy be scared? Why didn't he go, bring it on, Jesse? You see that altar? I'll, I'll roast you right here. I'll call fire down from heaven. I'll burn you up. But that's not where he was at. He was scared and he took off and he ran. Why did he go from faith to fear? Why did he go from faith to fear? Because we do this. Here's my answer. Because he was human. Humans do this. Humans have a great amount. Man, we got this faith, everything's going great. God's blessing me. And all of a sudden something happens and it derails us and it turns into this fear. We are emotional creatures. So here where he, here's where he was at. He was exhausted from a huge spiritual battle and he was hungry. Hangry is a thing. It's in the Bible, right? It is a thing. Some of you have, have people in your lives that are like that. They get hungry. They get emotional. And although God understands our emotions, he still expects us to control them. He really does. He's got grace for it, but he also expects us to control them. And here's the cool part. The cool part here is that God allows him to vent. He allows him to be emotional. See, some of you are familiar with the OG, original gangster, you know. <laughs> Where I grew up, there wasn't that. All right. But some of you are familiar with that. I call Elijah the OE, the original emo, because he's emotional. And we'll find out further in the story, he actually has a cloak that he pulls over his head. So he's walking around in darkness, okay? Kind of like a Sith Lord. Okay? He's just got this thing going on. So he's emotional. He's the OE, he's the original emotion. And, and we can see where he's at emotionally. He's like, I'm done. And that's where he's at. God, just kill me. I've had enough. And some of you may be right there today, especially if you're new parents. You see, I have this idea that when most people, when they, they get married and they want to have kids, they don't have kids yet. They're like, I'm going to be the most patient, best parent ever. And then you have children. And, and there's nothing like being sleep deprived for three days to have something come out into you that you did not know lived inside of you. Right? Some of you are going, ah, some of you are quiet because you know I'm speaking truth here. Right? It brings things out in us. And here's where he's at. What I want us to do is look at this emotional creature named Elijah, who again, loved God with all of his heart, serving God the best of his ability, having a moment, having somewhat of a breakdown here. And I know that we have all been here at one level or another. Now I've had a few, a few of these. Uh, my wife will say amen to that. Um, I, I allow myself two a year where I just have these breakdowns. Like usually it's from overworking and not taking enough time off or whatever. But one of the ones that I remember the most was uh, when, when we first came here, November, 20, November 2nd will be 24 years that my wife and I have been here as pastors of the church. But when we tried out here, uh, we discovered, because this was back when CUNA was, was little. See, my town had 500 people growing up. Some of y'all, this is podunk still. This is city to me, all right? And, and we came here and the church was way out. It was across the tracks where the building um, where the CUNA Cave Kids is right now. And so when we tried out, you know, there was, there was about 30 people in the church. First Sunday, we had 15, um, and just, just great people. But when we tried out, we found out there was three other pastors, according to, the, to what I was told, three other pastors that had tried, and they voted them all in, and all of them said no. 
And so I was like the fourth one. I was 26. I had been in full-time ministry for about six years. And, and I remember a lady who, who became a very good friend of ours. She said, what makes you think you can pastor us? I was like, is there something I don't know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I believe that God calls you and he provides leadership. And, and so here's what they offer. The offer was $300 a month plus housing. Okay, so there was a double-wide trailer on the property. Um, the double-wide trailer also was Sunday school was kids' church and then Wednesday night Bible study because the other building was, was too small to do all the ministries. So here, my wife, we get 300 bucks a month and you get to share your house with everybody else. This is great, right? And I knew that I knew that I knew that this is where God wanted us. But I had to work a full-time job, and that's, I had painted houses, so I had a little business and uh, just painted houses full-time, and we had Sunday you know, morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. So I'm painting, working a full-time job trying to develop messages uh, you know, for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I hadn't been in ministry too long to pull files out of going, well, I preached this back at the other church. Uh, it was like it had to be new stuff. And I remember at one point I was painting this new house, new construction, and my machine plugged up, and I wasn't having the, the greatest of time as it was. And I remember sitting on the stairs just crying. I'm an adult, man. I'm a man. I got kids, three kids, and, and I got tears just pouring down my I'm just going, God, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I, I, this is so frustrating to me. Lord, I'm, I'm supposed to be pastoring, and I am pastoring, but I'm having to work a full-time job to do it. And Father, can you just, can you just do something for me here? And I would love to tell you that an angel showed up into the room. Oh, with $100 bills floating down from the, you know. Don't, don't, don't talk about gold dust or feathers. I want bills, man. If God's going to do something, let it be hundos floating down. Not little, little dust where I have to collect it to, you know. Uh, if God's, I want God to go big if he's going to go it. I don't want just a dusting. I want to be covered. And I didn't have that moment. I didn't have this epiphany of, hey, everything's going to be great. Oh, you, you know, you're a man of God. This is going to happen. This future is going to be great. It was just, I love you, but this house has to be painted. <laughs> you got to keep going. And four years later, the church grew enough that, that we could go full time. I didn't have to paint anymore. But, but that's the story that I remember of myself being at this point of, of Jesus. I love you. I'm doing my best to serve you. But life just stinks right now. Life is not fun. And, and Lord, you know, if you were really with me, why did my paint machine plug up? It's because you didn't filter the paint, idiot. I mean, that's, that's what it came down to, right? I got a bad bucket of paint and, and it had chunks in it and my machine sucked it up. So I started learning, you can buy these screens for a dollar and you can screen the paint and it don't plug your machine up. It's, just, it's amazing, but what you don't know, you don't know. I didn't even know about the screens until I probably talked to the paint guy. Oh, did you screen it? What do you mean? There's a screen? You ever had those epiphanies of like, why didn't you tell me when I started? Like, and and it, it just made a whole mess of things. Well, I'm here today. My wife and I are here today. What's that mean? That means that we got through it. That means that, you know, again, God blessed our business. We were able to build a house. So there was a lot of blessings that came out of that. Um, and, and so through those frustrations, it's what we do with them is going to determine our destination. It's what we do with those moments as Elijah, well, he's got to do something with this moment, but we're tired of battling at times. And I think Elijah's like us as heaven would just be easier. Heaven, God, will you just take me home now? Cause I don't want to deal with this anymore. Well, he could, but he has a plan. The reason he doesn't, he still has a plan for you. God doesn't allow this to happen to Elijah because he's not done with Elijah. We'll, we'll see in the future. He's going to get taken up into heaven and chariot of fire, but he still has a plan for him. You see, here's the truth. You're going to have these emotional moments in life. The question is, how are you going to respond to them? What's the response? How are you going to respond to these moments? See, we judge actions often without knowing reasons. And we would be better parents to see our kids in some emotional state and just being like, what's wrong with you? To be able to say, hey, I, I see you're upset. What, tell me about it. Like, talk to me about it. And you'll have some kids that don't want to talk about it. They just need space. Okay, other kids will tell you everything, and you'd be like an hour later, okay, I'm done talking to you about it. All right. Um, you ever had those? But because how you respond determines whether you will make it or not. One, one of, I have to ask you a question first. Anybody else have Christmas music playing in their house this week? Besides me? If you marry a woman named Chris, you're probably going to have Christmas. And moss in Spanish means more, right? There's more, there's more of Christmas coming. I walk in the house the other day and she's got Christmas music going. And I'm like, yay, babe, you're cooking and you got Christmas music that's growing and it's 90 degrees. Oh, this is great. 
It's awesome. Pretty soon Hallmark will be up there instead of baseball. Heaven forbid. Um, which I did have to remind her because last night she's like, is there a Giants game? I said, yeah. She's like, oh. And I said, it's okay. Hallmark season's coming soon. All right? There's only one game a day, but there's Hallmark 24-7. So just have it up, all right? But one thing I love about Christmas time, and I love that about my wife, I love that she loves Christmas, is the movie The Grinch. And there's that moment where, you know, he, he can't make it to the, the celebration thing, and he's like making this, he looks through his calendar, and he's like, yeah, from 7 to 9 p.m., wallow in self-pity. <laughs> I love that scene because he actually has it scheduled. Like, it's not just an emotional moment. He's got it on his calendar. I'm going to wallow in self-pity, which leads me to a statement I, I read not too long ago. It says, if you think you can or can't, you're right. Like, if I think I can get through this, I'll be right. I probably will. But if I think I can't get through it, I'll probably be right because I won't try. So f- verses 5 through 9, he sleeps And then an angel appears and meets this physical need. And I will tell you this, unmet physical needs can definitely create emotional needs. We'll talk about this tonight at our life group because we do the married one and we talk about stuff. See the grin on my face? We talk about stuff, married stuff, right? Unmet physical needs can definitely create emotional needs. The angel doesn't chastise him for his attitude and emotions. Elijah is simply tired and he's hungry. Sometimes that is the answer to your problem. Like get some sleep, get some rest, get some food and everything will be okay. But a lot of times we will talk about the action instead of what's creating the action. Again, it's not an excuse for his behavior, but it is a reason for his behavior. And we would be wise to know the difference because we can often be really hard on people's behavior when we need to simply focus on what's possibly causing the behavior. Our marriages will be much better if we learn to do this, right? It will save your marriage if we learn to see the big picture. You see, I can point out the emotion or I can try to see what's causing it with some empathy. If your spouse gets home from work or you get home and there's an emotional, you're like, oh, whoa, should I just, should I just give you a few moments? How about just watch the kids and let me go decompress for an hour? Hey, hard day at work. Hey, just, hey, what, what do you need right now? Do you need some time? Do you need to watch a ball game? Do you, you know, uh, there may be, I don't need you to ask me about my day because right now I don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, if you do, I'm available. Love you. Bring them some iced tea or whatever they'd like. Instead of going, oh, so you had a rough day. That's the worst thing you can say. Husbands, if you get home and your wife's watching kids and they look like that, the worst thing you can do is go, so you've had a rough day because <laughs> your day just about get rougher, right? Let me tell you, you come home with an attitude like that, you ain't going to get no physical needs net, met later on. We'll talk about more of that tonight at my live group, okay? We, we have these emotional moments where we need to see maybe what's causing the empathy. One of the best things that somebody can tell you when you're having an emotional time is for somebody to say, I can see how you'd feel like that. Yeah, I can see how you'd feel like that. Not, well, you shouldn't feel that way. I, I learned that when I was a young husband, like 10 years ago, I was a young husband, uh, <laughs> I, I would tell my wife that, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, you know what? That's like the dumbest thing you can say to your spouse because their feelings are their feelings. Well, you shouldn't feel like it. And, and oftentimes we said you shouldn't feel that way with good intentions. Like it's, it's true. You, know, you shouldn't feel like it doesn't matter what I should feel. Oh, this is how I feel. Well, you still shouldn't. Feel, don't just don't just don't. You can say, I'm, I'm sorry you feel like that. You know, I'm, I'm just let me know if there's anything I can do to help you out. But yeah, you shouldn't feel that way. Okay, that's a wrong statement. Right motive may be wrong statement. I would imagine this angel seeing Elijah sleeping, coming and just kicking him in the ribs and get him, get up, you sissy. (laughs) Man of God, hell yeah, call that fire. Now you're running from Jesse. (laughs) What kind of man are you? No, he doesn't do that. He, he, He brings them food. So ladies, if your husband gets home and he's hangry, feed him. Give him something to eat. Give him a big... Hug and a kiss first, and then give them something to eat. Man, if you see your wife, do whatever she needs. We don't always know what women need. Men are pretty simple, but women, it's like a guessing game. It's like the thing we spun at the, you know, we have this thing. You know what I'm talking about? We had it at CUNA days. My wife bought this spinny thing, and it has all these things on it. Ladies, being married, you sometimes like that. It's like you like everyone, and we just got to spin the wheel and see where it lands and hope. TJ Maxx, ding, 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 winner, winner, winner. 
So here's what I know about Elijah. He wasn't told to quit complaining. Now there may be a time for this. And there's a time to kick your teenager out of bed if they're sleeping too long. But he's just having this emotional moment. I love how the angel acting on God's behalf is just showing some grace here. He lets him sleep and he gives him some food. He's like, okay, get this taken care of and then we'll talk because there's a long journey ahead of you. So here's what Elijah does. He gets up and he walks for 40 days and 40. That's a long time to walk. I'm in some good bread, right? He walks for 40 days and he goes to, to Mount Horeb. And if you didn't know anything more about this, you might think, hey, well, he went to Mount Horeb. What's the big deal? Mount Horeb was Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the mountain of God. And the mountain of God is where God met with Moses, had intimate conversation with him, gave him the Ten Commandments. So it's deeper than just where he went to Mount Horeb. He went to the place where he knew God would meet him. And that may be why you're here today. You came to God's house. Why? Because you need God to speak to you. Now, God could speak to you anywhere, but there's something about gathering together with a bunch of believers who are all messed up because we all are trying to get to the, to the finish line together. We're all wounded and bleeding and, and yet we're still going. So you're in the right place. He goes to where he knows maybe God's going to talk to him about some things. And then he goes into a cave, which is a safe and quiet place. I've never ever been in a cave. I've been in a lot of caves where I grew up, a little logging town in Northern California. And there was a lot of gold mines because it was a mining town as well. And so we would just go into these mines, me and my brothers and my best friends. Uh, we'd always put a jacket up on the one we were in just in case. <laughs> like this is where we were. This is where we forever shall be. All right, in this cave, and we'd go crawl around. I got some really cool pictures. Maybe I'll show you sometime. Uh, but caves are really, really quiet. I almost said safe. Caves aren't, gold mines aren't always safe. Yeah. Like when you're a teenager, you don't think about timbers holding up rocks going, hey, how sturdy is that? You just don't think about it. All right. But they're quiet. And I think what happened here was he gets this emotional moment, and he goes to a place where there's no cell service, where it's just quiet where he can just hear God's voice, okay? And he probably got some more rest. He probably got some more food because timing is really important here. And so let's continue on the story. It says in verse nine, there he went to the cave and he spent the night. Now the word of the Lord came to him in his quiet place in his cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites, like your people that I'm leading, have rejected your covenant. They've broken down the altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. So he's still standing in the mouth of the cave. And wait for the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And the whisper probably was, Elijah, just a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, God already told you once. <laughs> I got to tell you again. God, did you not hear me the first time? And we think this might be kind of funny, but I think because Elijah's human, I think he's probably thinking these things. And yet how often have we said the same thing to God? God, did you not hear my prayer? Like, Lord, I asked you about this and I haven't heard back from you. Are, are you deaf? Do, am I, do I matter to you, Lord? Of course you do. God always hears. He just doesn't always respond. Do you ever have a child that just is constantly nagging you? Mom, 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 mom. Hey, here's what I found. The more you nag, the less you tend to listen. All right? Now, kids, if you give it to them, then they're going to continue to nag you. I have a dog who thinks I should pet her every waking moment. This morning I got up, I'm reading my Bible, drinking my coffee. That's her cue to come and put her, Bible, her face right on my Bible. That's what she does, just looks at me like, pet me. I'm like, you don't even produce anymore, child. All you do is get into garbage cans and you want me to pet you. All right? And she's like, yep, it's a little dog. But she'll do that. She'll put her, her chin right on my Bible and just look at me until I pet her head. And so I'm actually contributing to the problem. 
<laughs> knitting it right here because she just does this little Pavlov's dog thing. Anyway, what are you doing here? Elijah, and he's like, ah. let me tell you again, Lord. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then God just says, go back the way you came. <laughs> I love God's, God's gentle at first, and then he's like, okay, enough. You need to go back to where you came. Let's talk about this for a moment. You see, what I believe that God is asking him here, it deals with an attitude, not a location. Because God knew why he was where he was. He knew why he was on Mount Horeb in the cave. He knew why. The, but what are you doing here, Elijah? And I think he was talking about his mental capacity, his mental state. God knew that Elijah was feeling sorry for himself, but he wants Elijah to deal with it himself, to be honest with himself. And I believe that God wants us to deal with the same question today. So here it is, and maybe you need to take a picture of it, but what are you doing here, Stan? What are you doing here? Whether, whether you're in a place that you shouldn't be, okay, whether you're, you're around an area of temptation or whether it's a mental thing or whether you're spun up about something, whether you're really emotional about something, I think it's important to say, okay, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And it may be legitimate. I mean, you might have a legitimate reason to be angry or legitimate reason to feel frustrated or let down or abandoned. You may have a legitimate reason and, and God's not mad at you for that. But the question is, is what are you gonna do with it? Because the past is a horrible place to live. It's a horrible place to live. You gotta deal with it, but you can't live there. And so God is dealing with the heart of the issue here. What are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, we've all been in those places with temptations or locations, emotions or notions or thoughts. And we have to ask ourselves that question, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Have you ever been in that, in the temptations, and you're going, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Whether it's gossip or pornography or jealousy or drug addiction or whatever it is, and you have those, what, what am I doing? You ever ask those questions? I hope so, because it probably means you're really saved. Because unsaved people don't really ask that question. <laughs> I like being here. This is great. If you give your life to Jesus, you go, wait, what I'm doing here is actually hurting me. What am I doing here? So that, for you to ask yourself that question means that your life with God is in the right spot because your flesh is just taking control of the steering wheel and you go, what am I thinking? And the angel's like, you're not thinking. <laughs> like your body's thinking, right? Your, your flesh is thinking. And if you struggle with this, the book of Romans chapter seven, verse 21 especially, but the whole, the whole chapter seven of the book of Romans talks about this battle of good and evil within us. Paul the apostle's like, I want to serve God with all my heart, but man, there's a, there's a flesh thing right there with me. Wherever I go, evil wants to take over. And he's like this whole battle. It's like there's two dogs in me and there's a good dog and a bad dog and they're always going at it. And the dog that you feed the most is the dog that's the one that's going to win the fight, but the old dog is still going to win sometimes. So if you, if you do with this, go read that on your own this week, Romans 7, and you'll see that even men of God fight these things, okay? It's the flesh and the spirit. And what I love about God is, again, his approach. He doesn't reprimand Elijah here. It's a healthy conversation with somebody that he loves, and that's what God would ask you today. What, what are you doing here? Okay, whatever your life is spiritually, what are you doing here? And, and God's not accusing you. He's wanting to deal with it. Like, what are you doing here? Let's, let's, let's deal with this. Let's talk about this. Let's get through this. And Elijah, again, vents again. This is why I'm feeling the way I am, Lord. I'm frustrated with the nation of Israel's behavior. You've given, me, you've given me sheep that don't want to follow. They don't want to follow you. They don't want to follow me. I'm just wasting my time. It doesn't matter what they're responding. What matters is that Elijah continues to be obedient. So whether your people you lead are following you or not, your job is still to be obedient. Whether your kids are serving God or not, that, that, that's irrelevant to your walk with God. You keep serving God. You keep serving your family. Keep, keep showing them that God works and hopefully eventually they will come back. At least that's the way you should pray. And it's probably not going to be from a sermon you preach. It's just going to be that you left the bridge open. Amen. You got a prodigal, just leave the bridge open. Because eventually I believe that they will come back. But Elijah's frustrated here. It's a legitimate frustration. Okay. And God says, yeah, you're right. They're not, they're not serving me. Matter of fact, they're even killing your followers. Lord, God says, I know that hurts my heart too. That frustrates me too. But one thing that Elijah gets wrong is he says, I'm the only one left. Now he's not. There's 7,000 other people that God has reserved. Okay, and there always is. But here's the deal. This is how he felt. He felt alone. He felt like he was the only one. 
It's not true, but it's how he felt, and that's important. But God did not discount his feelings, and I love that. God didn't discount his feelings. He's like, oh, you're being silly. He says, no, it's Elijah, I get it. Like, you're an emotional creature, and I'm going to let you be emotional. He understood where Elijah was emotionally, and I wish that, that I could be better at that with people. Amen. we better off to practice just the emotional creatures. And I have found this, that most relationship problems can be solved if we feel the other person truly wants to understand where we're coming from. Okay, just what frustrates me. This is what frustrates me. And for somebody to say, man, tell me about it. I see you're frustrated. Just, man, let me know how you're feeling here. I may not understand it, but I want to understand you. And if spouses can learn to do that, okay, because here's what I know, we have this desire to simply be understood. So this, I ask this question to myself, do you think God feels the same way? And I, I got the answer of yes. That don't you think God just wants to be understood? Don't you think that God says, you know, I gave you my word so that if you will follow it and you will do what it says, your life will be a lot better off than not? Don't you think God wants us to understand that I gave this to you not to make you feel guilty about everything. I gave this to you to guide you and to lead you and to be your compass. Okay, Scott talked about the true north, and that is so important because we have our own idea of, of, of what we want. And, you know, being as we're talking about some movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow's compass, where does it point? It points to what he wants the most. <laughs> isn't, isn't that like our life? God, I got this compass, but I want it to point to what I want. Not what you want. We, the word of God is not up for interpretation. It says what it says. Call sin for what it is. Amen. We can't go, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, this is the 21st century. So no, it still applies because the word of God lasts forever. Amen. Right. It lasts forever. We can't just go to where we want. We have to go to what God's word wants and do what God's word says. And, and I think that God feels very misunderstood most of the time because people don't follow his word. God just wants what's best for us. He wants our life to be blessed. He wants your marriage to be happy. He, he, he wants that for you, but we misunderstand him. God just wants to be understood. He tells us what he tells us for a reason. Okay, isn't that what John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world that what he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, meaning like we put our faith in him, will not perish. Perish where? Perish in hell, but have everlasting life. Where is everlasting life? It's in heaven. That's God's heart, is that we just understand that he wants a relationship with us. That's why today, God's not mad at you. God is not disappointed in you at all. How do I know that? Because he knew the dumb thing you were going to do before you did it. And he still picked you to be on his team, right? He wants you to be on his team. He wants you to be in the family, but we have to put our faith in Christ to do that. You see, I believe God put this desire to be understood within us. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. We were not created to be gods, but we were created in his image. And if I believe God wants to be understood, I think that's why the desire is in us to simply be understood. So God wants to show again, Elijah, something. Okay, again, in verse nine through 13. And uh, in chapter 18, I want to show you what happened. I'm not going to go back and read it, but there was an altar that I told you about that Elijah built. And what did he do? How did God answer with the altar thing. He put, poured water all over it and he prayed. And how did God answer? He answered with fire. He answered with fire. It came down, consumed everything. Well, I think this little moment in the cave when, when God used the wind to tear rocks and he used the earthquake and he used the fire, I think Elijah went, that's what I'm talking about. Let's just call down fire on those dirty, rotten sinners, Israelites, and let's burn them up. Start over. Because if it was me, that's me, let's just do that. Let's just burn them up, start over. But what did God show Elijah? He, he showed him fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And it notes that God was not in the fire. Was God in the fire before? Yes. And maybe Elijah was looking for the wrong or the right answer in the wrong place. And there's times we're looking for God in the fire when God just wants to be in the gentle whisper. Because God doesn't always answer the same way. And we have this idea that he will. And this prayer that you've been praying, you're like trying to call down fire to fix the situation. And God says, that's not how I'm going to do it this time. You need to be okay with how I want to do it this time. And it might be a simple, gentle whisper. Aren't we guilty of that? Like thinking God's going to do the same thing every time? Yeah. And that's not how it works. Okay? That's not how it works. And I think he's showing us here. You see, Elijah has these expectations and God is not meeting them. But once again, God doesn't always do things the same way. We could be today with where you're at in life looking for God in a fire or earthquake or a violent wind when you need to be listening for his whisper. Now, when's the last time that you got away to a quiet spot 
whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, half hour, and just listen for the voice of God or just sat there. Maybe it's next to a river. Maybe it's up in the mountains. Maybe it's hunting season where you just sit and listen. When's the last time you drove in your car and didn't have the radio going, but you just was, was quiet? That tends to be my tendency is just to turn the radio off and just listen to the voice of God, just, just talk to God. When's the last time you did that? Well, if you don't make time for it, you may miss the voice of God because we're in a world the sound is always happening. So again, God asks the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because the first answer wasn't the real answer. It was an emotional answer. Elijah responds the same, still misses it. Because if God has to ask you a question twice, that means that the first question wasn't answered properly. Okay? And God's not mad here. God's just, he's wanting Elijah to see what, what he can't see, see what God sees. And here's what I got out of this, that Elijah thought God was talking about location, but the question had to do with his mental attitude. Because here's what God knows. Because in verse 18, basically tells us that God reveals the truth that Elijah wasn't willing to do with himself. And that is, you're here because you're feeling sorry for yourself. Elijah, you're at this location now because you're having a pity party and you want everybody to be invited. But there's nobody that wants to come to your pity party except for Jezzy because she wants to kill you. So she would have came, but, but you're feeling sorry for yourself. It's as if God was saying, and hear me on this because this may be where you are. I know things didn't turn out the way you thought, but what you see isn't all that's going on. Amen. The story is bigger than what you're going through right now. The story is bigger than that. We get so focused on the one little picture that we forget that back in the old days when there was actually reels, like movie reels. Okay, a movie was actually made of a bunch of little pictures. Now it's digital, so you can't use that illustration. But in the old days, back when we were kids, right, there was a reel. And you could look at one little picture on the reel, but it didn't show you the whole movie. And sometimes we get so focused on the one little picture of the tragedy or whatever it is that we fail to see what's ahead. And God says, hey, it's bigger than you. What you're going through is bigger than you. There's a lot more to your story that's happening here. Somehow we get this idea that, again, we're the only piece of the puzzle, or the main one anyway, when the puzzle is a lot bigger than that. So it's time to quit feeling sorry for yourself. This is kind of what God's saying to Elijah. Let your emotions run their course and let's get on with life because I have something for you to do next. But Elijah, you can't stay here. You can't stay in this cave. You can't stay in the pity party. God allows you to be in the cave for a reason, for a certain amount of time, but there's a time that you've got to set the timer on your emotions, okay? I'm going to set it for five minutes, 10 minutes, a day, whatever, but I'm going to, I'm going to put an expiration date on my sorry self and I'm going to move on with life. Now, this week, I'll probably have to have one of you remind me of that. <laughs> Set a timer on it, preacher. <laughs> My wife can use that against me. Set a timer on it. All right? You see, staying in the place of feeling sorry for yourself will only hold you back. Notice the, notice the first word. What's it say? The first word is important. Staying, okay? Staying there. Getting there, we're all gonna, it's all going to happen. We're going to be emotional. We're going to overreact. We're going to have these emotional moments. The important word is staying in the place. Okay, we can visit there, and I think it's okay sometimes because it allows us to vent. But staying there is the dangerous spot. And some of you today may be there. You may be staying stuck in your story, stuck in what happened to you, stuck. You know, don't stay stuck in your story. Don't say stay stuck in what the past was. You, you admit it. Say, that's, yeah, that, yeah, it happened. I did it. I screwed this up. I'm the one that did this. It's totally my fault because I believe that God honors us when we're owning it to not blame our past, to not blame our child, to not blame anything that happened to say, you know what, it happened, and, but this, I'm not the only one that this happened to. There's a lot of people in this world with your story. There's a lot of people you could talk to that, that if, you, if they were honest, go, you know, I was abused too as a kid, or I had this happen, but I had to choose to get over it. I had to choose to move on as hard as it was, but I can't grow if I, if I don't deal with the past. You know how God deals with your past? He forgave it. The moment you asked Jesus to be your savior, he forgave everything that you ever did. He forgave it. Eternity doesn't have any record of your past. Isn't that great? <laughs> State of Idaho might, but, uh, but, God, but heaven doesn't. Okay? It's really true. There's an NCIC. <laughs> Somebody knows what NCIC. If you know what NCIC, you're either in law enforcement or you were incarcerated. Yeah. And if you don't want it, it's a national criminal information system. 
or, or center, all right? That's, that's the emotion, that's, that's everything, all the, the dirt that you have in your life, there's information there about you. But I want to tell you something that God does not have an NCIC. God does not look and go, yeah, his past is, whoa, look at all that stuff he did. Oh, yeah, I forgot I forgave you about that. No, God looks at it and guess what? There's nothing there. There's no file. And that's a cool deal. Amen? That's a cool deal. Staying in that place, feeling sorry for yourself. Well, I'm, bad. I'm almost done here. Like God and the angel, give grace for emotions in yourself and others. But again, set a timer on it. Some of you are going to get upset about some things. So, you know, I'm going to give myself five minutes to sulk, five minutes to feel sorry for myself. Okay? And then I'm going to move on. And the five minutes is going to want to turn into seven minutes at times, but you have to learn to put a timer on it and then move on. I posted this this week. The longer you allow your emotions to fly the plane, the further off course you will get. And it's really true. So here's what I need you to do today with what you've heard. I need you to do something with it. Here's what I need as your friend, as your pastor. What I need you to do today is to look at where you are right now and ask yourself this question. Why am I here? Why am I here? Now, some of you are here physically in the house of God, and that's great. You're here for a reason. God has a, but why are you here emotionally? Why are you here spiritually? And you have to be honest with yourself and say, this is why I'm here. Because we can blame other people. Okay, Elijah could blame Jezebel for his bad day. Elijah could say, you know what? If Jezebel wasn't chasing me, then I wouldn't be in this spot. He did kind of say that, right? They're trying to kill me. He was using her as a reason for having this, this emotional moment. But if we blame other people, we will never get over it. Right. We, can, we can say they're the reason, but I'm the, I'm the cause for me being where I'm at because I'm not willing to deal with it myself. And we can use what happened to us as a lame excuse to never grow. Okay, all of us have that tendency to do that. Okay, again, your past is either anchor or a sail. It will hold you back or it will propel you forward. Just that it depends on what you choose to do with it. Why am I here? And if you're in a wrong place, change directions. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. This is the truth. There's hell to pay if you die without accepting Jesus as your Savior. The Bible is very clear. The book of Revelation talks about that those who, who did not give their lives to Jesus Christ spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire to pay for their own sins. Well, Jesus already paid for my sins, but I have to redeem it. Like you can win the lottery, but what do you have to do with that ticket? People are like, I don't know, never won. So, okay, you would have to go to the lottery office, right? You have to cash it in. You could get your paycheck. What do you got to do? You got to deposit it. Well, Jesus wrote the paycheck already for our sin, but I have to be willing to say, I need you, Jesus. I need you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Okay, I grew up in church, but at 13, Bob, that's when I like really cemented at Mount Lassen summer camp. I was like, this guy preached on hell, and it scared it out of me. Like I'm running to the front going, I'm going to be the first one there, all right, because I could die between here and the altar. I better get it right. Now, I probably was already saved, but I needed to be sure, okay, because he was very convincing. <laughs> he was a very convincing preacher. Um, why am I here, and why... Am I doing what am I doing? And, and, and God allows us to change directions. Here's what I know is way too many people complain about life, but they do nothing to change it. They do nothing yeah. to change it. Elijah feels alone, and God says, <laughs> I know you feel alone, but I got seven other thousand, 7,000 people serving me, bro. You're, you're not alone. There's, there's a lot of people going through the same thing you're going through. And they were kind of hiding too. God always wins, doesn't he? Amen. So why you are where you're at, okay, I want you to think about this week. When you get it spun up about something, and I got to do it myself, okay, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Is it legitimate? Yeah, this happened, and it frustrated me. Okay, what am I going to do with it? Because what you choose to do with it is going to determine whether you win or whether you lose. Here's what I know. In our world, there's a lot of defeat. I call them defeated Christians. They're on their way to heaven, but it's like everything defeats them. Like every setback, it's like, ah, instead of saying, you know what? I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to go through it. It's not going to be fun, but I'm going to keep pushing and keep going. I'm going to keep going. The second person I want to talk to today may be those of you in this place that have never given your life to Jesus. I tell you, today could be the greatest day of your life. Amen. Yep. Greatest day of your life. That year when I was 13 years old, when I, you know, I am going to give my life to Jesus because I want to go to heaven. That was my main motive. I'll tell you that. It was fire insurance. Say, so, bro, I don't want to go to hell, all right? Yeah, I'm a little life serving you, God, but I really don't want to spend eternity in hell, so I really need to get the fire insurance policy taken care of before I move on. Okay, that was my motive because, you know, hell is a real place. It's hot. Don't want to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. 
But serving Jesus isn't just about the end. It's about what we do from here on, that God gives you a life of peace and purpose. And that's really what it's about on this earth is, is salvation is taken care of, but how are we going to live between now and then? Serving God, I've never regretted it, not one time. Has it always been easy? No. It's always been worth it, though. It's always been worth it. So if you bow your heads with me just for a moment, I just want to be quick here. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you did as a kid and you were so far from God, you just want to come back, God is, is waiting with open arms. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set things right. He wants to put peace in your life. But you have to be willing to confess your sins. You have to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. Are you willing to do that today if, if you're not right with God and you want to be? And if you would, again, just me and you and the Lord here, I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you in any way. But if that's you, if you would just lift your hand up where I could see it. Say, Stan, I'm, I'm here today. I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody here like that? Okay. All right. I see two of you back there. Anybody else? Three. All right. All right. Well, here's what I want to do. Here's how we do it as a church family. We just pray the prayer together. So I just ask that everybody would pray it out loud. Just repeat after me in support of those who raise their hands. And let's just say it. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You just got written in the book. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Amen. Well, I'm proud of you. Okay, best decision you'll ever make. Okay, your name is now written in the book of life, and that's an important thing. Isn't it amazing how salvation happens so fast? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's no waiting period. There's no, like, God go, okay, we'll give you three days. Let me see if you're serious. It's the moment you repent is the moment that you're saved. Amen. Now we just do the best we can to love God and we learn and we grow. So um, if, you're, if you're, again, if you gave your heart to Christ today, we do have a new believer's book and the, the information is a new believer's handbook. It's like, okay, I prayed the prayer. Now what do I do? <laughs> hey, you're on your own. Good luck. See you at the end, hopefully. Um, no, it's like, okay, what do I do now? And then if you need a Bible, we have those as well. So anyways, thank you so much for being here today. Um, Wednesday night, uh, we're doing Genesis and we're about to get into why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. So if you're interested in that, it's pretty intense. Um, God requires obedience. And so our Wednesday night is, again, full, full church service. Um, it's awesome. We try to be out of here by, by 8.05 because it's school night. So uh, anyways, if you want to come to that, come out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Love you. Have a wonderful day. Uh, say hi to somebody you don't know. And life groups tonight. Right above the drinking fountains is the information.